All right, we are rolling. Counting us down. Three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hello there, Misketeers. Welcome back to Missing Out. I'm Tari J. I'm Lex Michael. And if this is your first time listening, what we do here is we introduce each other to different media, whether it be movies, music, television, spoken word, books, experiences, things that have built us up as people, and we hope that in sharing it, it builds you up. We are the retrospective that is introspective. Tari J, you're trying to seduce me. Oh yeah! Look at my leg. Look, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna take my top off. Just, just look. You're a grown man. Come on, don't worry about it. I find you so attractive. Uh, hello, Miskateers, our old friends. We've come to talk with you again. Heck yeah! So, yo, it's a new month, babies, and that means we have a new theme. We talked about it a little bit last week. And now it is in full effect. The theme is schools out forever. And so we are doing school-related things, summer-related, being out of school. We know that a lot of you, I don't know what the percentage of recent college or high school graduates that listen to this show are, but, you know, this is the time when people are just getting out of school. People are um, getting ready to go on their gap years at home i guess um there's i, I mean it's it's an unprecedented time so i don't know what everyone's doing now that they've graduated but uh that is what the main <laughs> protagonist of this movie also feels right um, i think there's a pretty good one-to-one there right like he's completed a certain phase of his life and he finds himself in a in a new paradigm that he does not quite know how to how to navigate much much as we all do right now right uh and so we're talking the graduate uh made in 1967 starring Anne bancroft dustin hoffman katherine ross and a bunch of nobodies um <laughs> the music was by simon and garfunkel it was directed by mike nichols this was his first non-broadway directorial debut it's dope um so lex you brought this to us so why don't you pitch it so the pitch is simple now as we as we alluded to of course uh it depicts a certain time in this young man's life that i do think to one degree or another uh, any of us might be able to relate to but really uh my pitch is just that 1967 was sort of the turning point for entertainment it was the the death of old hollywood and the new hollywood was coming in right behind and that's where you got some of the most interesting experimental and revered movies of the very late 60s and throughout the 1970s one of them in particular the graduate it is a in my opinion deeply funny deeply relatable and deeply uncomfortable little comedy drama uh it's one of the great american movies by one of the great american directors featuring a couple of the great iconic american performances and it also near single-handedly ushered in a new type of screen leading man uh with the avatar of that movement sort of being Dustin Hoffman. This was, of course, his breakout performance. And I think uh, he is one of our great screen actors as well. But as I as I just mentioned, in my opinion, one of the great American movies, Batari J, it is a it is a great American movie that you had never seen. But a movie as iconic as this, right? How can you come into it without having a couple of preconceived notions? So really, my big question for you coming to this, uh, this icon of cinema for the first time, what what do you take away from this because to me the graduate is so iconic that it it almost pitches itself you know everybody everybody knows something about this movie everybody knows whether it's a line or a piece of music or uh, they recognize a piece of iconography you know they recognize the shot uh, through the legs and stuff like that so for you coming to this thing fresh for the first time this this uh, piece of uh, cinema history what what did this do for you did this do anything for you Anything at all? Were you mad? Were you, were you, uh, did you see yourself in ways that you haven't before? Did you feel personally attacked? Did you see yourself, uh, perhaps in the Mrs. Robinson character? 
uh, because I feel like, if I may, a little bit, a little bit of our relationship uh, in this movie. If I may, I was a very young uh, wayward youth when you ensnared me for the first time. Uh, so there's that. Um, I don't like that <laughs> that depiction of our friendship, which is platonic and non-sexual. Um, but no, uh, I think I had gone so much of my existence knowing only about the ending scene that has been parodied so much where it is uh, Dustin Hoffman's character on the other side of the glass while someone's getting married. Like, if if you know nothing about The Graduate, it's that. So it's not really a big spoiler. Um, and if it is, I'm so sorry. I should have waited is- until the uh, ending line or until the spoiler wall was down, but yeah, still. It's, it's tough to really spoil a movie this storied and this well-known. Well, that was the only thing I knew about it. I don't think I knew, I didn't know anything about the, the like seduction. I knew that Dustin Hoffman was in it, but I didn't know anything else about the movie. So it really like boggled my mind how we got to that point, especially because it literally happens. Like, I don't know two minutes before the ending. So um, everything about this movie was a big surprise. Um, and I think as, as I've spoken about before, um, uh, a lot of my movies growing up, we were like black starring black created movies. And this movie is white as hell. Like, I don't this think I saw very, a single yeah. person of color. Um, this is and super it's super white. Yes. Yeah. And it's about like, this really waspy society um, and all these really waspy situations, basically. Um, So I think for me, this movie was interesting in terms of like it. I can see how it has influenced a lot of movies that came after it. Um, It very much felt like I think if you wanted like a modern equivalent to this movie in terms of tone and feel like it, it really felt like garden state, I think. <laughs> okay. I could well, yes, I could definitely see that in so far as I'm pretty sure that this movie was a, a very big reference point for Zach Braff on garden state. I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty I, sure that that's not an accident. No. Yeah, I believe so. Like it has, all of the the tenants that you see in a lot of more modern small scale indie films and in that like it has um, lesser known it has music by a lesser known band and it that like skyrockets them into like fandom. Um, it is a lot of people's debut thing and that allowed them the freedom to just kind of play with the characters and 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 really just dive into the the story itself um the the camera techniques uh jump between very experimental and very like um i would say long and contemplative like it it very much feels like the template for a lot of very uh small town indie films and i think that's really interesting to see so Lex, you talked about its icon- its iconicness in the realm of Hollywood, but like, what does this film mean to you? Do you see yourself in Ben's place? Do you uh, feel like a lost soul drowning in a in a sea under or like that uh, is over your head? Tell me, tell me, who are you? <laughs> Well, so I do think, um, and I alluded very, very briefly um, a couple of minutes ago to this this movie as something that I think is almost uncomfortably relatable or recognizable or familiar. So as you pointed out, this is obviously uh, and very specifically about one type of culture in America at a specific time, and it's very much white, upper-class, waspy existence. But I do think where Ben finds himself uh, at the beginning of this story uh, and, and how that sort of informs the decisions he makes or what he uh, allows to happen to him. I feel like that is something that is eminently relatable. Now, maybe we do have a version of this uh, 
you know, when we when we graduate school, right? I think maybe that is it for a lot of people. You go to school, you do what you're supposed to do, and then you get out of school and you're told, well, your life is supposed to be your life now. What are you going to do with it? Figure it out. Tell us. Tell us the next thing you're doing. And it can be very disorienting and very jarring. And there can occasionally be difficulty in reconciling this idea of who you're supposed to be with who you currently are, with who you want to be. And sometimes what comes out of that is this weird, misguided rebelliousness. Ben has a line kind of halfway through the movie where he's saying, you know, he feels for whatever reason that ever since he's graduated, he has this compulsive need to be rude to people. He doesn't necessarily have anything that he needs to rebel against, but he has that inclination regardless because he feels to some extent like life has been carrying him like it's like it's a river that he's thrashing around in and he doesn't really have a whole lot of say the only control the only power he has is essentially to be rude to commit these sort of uh uh, acts of rebelliousness whether it's uh word or action and it's something that the elaine character i think can very much identify with because it is an uncomfortably relatable idea um this act of misguided rebellion because you feel like there are expectations on you that you can't quite identify. Like he also has a line about how he feels like there are all these rules he's expected to play by, but nobody tells him what the rules are. And I feel like, again, like I feel like even if we are not part of the world that Ben lives in, um, even if we are not, say, uh, you know, uh, white, middle to upper class waspy, um, I do think that is something that that everybody has their their version of this feeling of uh, lack of direction, a lack of motivation, but feeling of expectation coming at you from other people. And how do you a sort of stake out your own identity within that? And B, how do you how do you stop it from making you a little bit of a jerk? Uh, and I feel like that is you know, now obviously uh, your mileage is going to vary as far as whether or not like you go and and sleep with the wives of your dad's friends or something like that. But I do think broadly speaking, uh, it's something that I certainly I don't know about you. I certainly relate to. I feel like that was very much me for for a lot of the past decade. And I feel like I'm only just now starting to shake some of that off. Uh, but I don't know if that's something you can relate to in the slightest. Um, I mean, yeah, I can relate to it from the aspect that like yes i've i've been post-college and and uh no and and not really known where my path is going to take and i've been like when i moved to la like i also had similar feelings of there are opportunities but like how do i seize them and and people being like so are you famous yet and it's like look, like, it's a process, and there's no roadmap. Um, so I totally get that. Um, yeah. There's there's also the aspect of, now, I, I will speak for me, uh, I think of the two of us, the way I grew up was, it was certainly not exactly like what you see in this movie, but probably a little bit closer to that, relatively speaking. And I, I got, like, um, I, I almost felt a little triggered by parts of this movie in a way that I don't think I ever have, because I got these flashbacks too. When I was a kid and like, for example, was learning how to play guitar, just something to do for me, not because I wanted to necessarily play for other people. I never really had professional aspirations in that direction. It's just something that I liked to do and I I wanted to do it. And then my parents went about sort of destroying it for me by insisting that I play for their friends and stuff like that. And eventually I was able to break away from having to do that type of thing, but just sort of parading me around like I was a, like a show dog, the much in the way that Ben feels his parents are doing to him. Um, there's a very famous scene where they're parading him around in a scuba suit and it's just, it, it's, you know, ostensibly big finger quotes for him. But of course he's, he's essentially uh, a, an agency free plaything. At that point, um, right. when he's when he's being ushered around the party at the beginning and everybody right. I feel like we're getting into spoilers, baby. Fair enough. Fair enough. Let's lift it. But my point is just that I do feel like that is something that I could relate to this feeling of of ostensibly you're highlighting my individuality here. And yet what seems to be happening is you are actually robbing me of it. Uh, and boy, does it stink. Yeah, that sounds like it sucks. I feel like we've gotten to the point. No, like it it sounds really shitty. And I I I think that like we've gotten to the point where we can't really discuss our feelings about this movie without dropping like a bunch of like details and 
And if you're like me and you've never seen a single frame of the actual movie, um, you know, some of these, you, you might be a purist and you're like, I fucking, and I don't want to know until I see it. Um, <laughs> so I will take this opportunity to drop the spoiler wall. Um, and we're really going to get in depth about how this movie speaks to us and how uh, it has spoken to people over the past 50 plus years. Um, so I'm giving you the opportunity to click out now. If you haven't seen it, it's available uh, all over the internet. It's on Hulu. It's on Amazon. It is on the YouTube, like for rent service. So you can find it anywhere that movies are sold. Yes, I would um, also say, because you all know if you listen to this show, I'm a big physical media guy. Uh, the Criterion Collection put out a really great Blu-ray edition of this movie. Uh, the transfer is gorgeous, and it is a real stack release, bunch of extra stuff. So I recommend that. That's how I watched it. Awesome. And we'll put a link to that in the description, just so if someone wanted to get a physical copy, um, they have that opportunity. Um, if you are feeling so inclined, please feel free to go onto Apple podcast app and leave us a rating and review that really helps us get to the top of the charts. It helps other people find us. Uh, as you know, the most potent form of advertisement is word of mouth. So, uh, that really helps us. If you have a friend who you think might like this show, please share it with them. So that's it. Uh, we will be back right after this ad. Bro, we did it. We hacked into the Libsyn mainframe. Oh shit, really? Yeah, now we can finally force other podcasts to play our ads. Hit the button. Alright, here we go. Do you fancy bonus? How about jizz? Or perhaps bestiality piques your interest? You can find all that filth and more on Fartmouth Podcast, recorded in the basement of Fartmouth University. Fartmouth is one of the most offensive comedy podcasts on the internet. We do weekly segments, games, song parodies, and more. You can find Fartmouth on Apple, Google, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are played. And we are back. And you know what time it is. If you haven't seen this movie in a while and you need a refresher on everything that happened, it's time to bust a recap. You gotta, you gotta tell me what happens in this movie that I have seen more times than you have seen. Hmm. Well, this ain't for you, baby. This is for everyone out there. This is for everyone out there who uh, hasn't seen the movie in a while or just loves fanciful retellings. Ooh, baby. This is for you. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> This is yeah. I'm I'm enticed. I feel like I've been pulled all the way in. I feel like you're you're Mrs. Robinsoning me right now. Oh yeah, my voice is available to you anytime. Uh, I'll find you a try. All right, I'm done. Um, okay. <laughs> so the graduate. Uh, we got this guy Ben. He is played by Dustin Hoffman. And he just graduated from college and everyone is like, oh boy, what are you going to do with your future? You're so promising. You were this and you were that. And he, he's like, I don't want to do any of, I don't want to, I don't know. I don't know what I want to do. And then as he's walking through this party that his parents have uh, thrown for him, this older lady, Mrs. Robinson is like stalking him with his, uh, with her eyes as she smokes her cigarette and he, he finally escapes the party and she goes in his room and is like, yo, can I put my ashes out in your room? And he's like, no. And she's like, well, fuck what you're saying. Take me home. And he's like, I, I, this is my party. And she's like, I hear what you're saying, but I don't care. Take me home, you punk bitch. And she's like, and so he does, because he's a nice young gentleman, and he was also looking for an excuse to leave the party. And then she proceeds to, like, really gaslight him into getting her, getting him into her house. She's like, ooh, I don't, I don't feel comfortable without the lights on. Ooh, I just want you to hang out until my husband comes back. 
ooh, I want you to put your mouth on me. And he's like, oh, oh, oh boy. Uh, I, I'm uncomfortable with this. You're married. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like this is, this, it feels like you're, you're trying to make me do a wrong thing. And she's like, but you want to do a wrong thing. Just kidding. Oh no. Why would you think that? Uh, every time he tries to get away, she finds a new excuse or she guilts him into staying. And then at a certain point, she traps him in a room with her nude body um, and he escapes very uh, narrowly as the husband comes back and she offers up her body. And then after his parents are like, hey, bro, you want to use this scuba thing in the pool? He's like, man, I need to do some fucking. And so um, (laughs) he calls it Mrs. Robinson and we get the most weird slapdash um awkward teen boy sequence where he's uh waiting for her at the hotel room and then she finally shows up and he gets a room and she's smooth as fuck she's like yeah i'm gonna bone down on this kid and he's like mm, i don't know what to do with my hands oh boy uh until they finally get into the room and uh bone down something proper And we get a nice little montage of uh, Ben just lounging around and his parents being like, why aren't you like doing stuff? And he is secretly like, I'm doing stuff, which is your partner's wife. Yum, yum, yum. I'm putting my thing in her junk. Um, (laughs) But it doesn't seem to be bringing him any excitement. Uh, And then his parents and uh, Mr. Robinson are like, yo, our daughter's coming back and you guys should hook up. But Mrs. Robinson's like, you can't hook up with my daughter. I uh, am not going to tell you why, but you can't hook up with her. And Dustin Hoffman slash Ben is like, look, I know that this is a casual thing, but I'm looking for a girlfriend. And the and Mrs. Robinson's like, I don't want to be your girlfriend. I just want to touch your young chest. And... You can't touch my daughter's junk because I have insecurities about it, but I won't tell you what they are. Um, and so Ben is like, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go on this date because my parents are making me and I'm going to treat your daughter like garbage. And then he does so and she reacts accordingly, which makes him finally drop down his walls and they find out that they're kind of compatible um, but then it's all derailed when Mrs. Robinson's like, you can never have my daughter. I'm going to tell her that you did sex to me. And he's like, I'm going to tell her first. So they race back and <laughs> essentially he's, he's like, yo, I got to tell you that I have been doing your mother something real proper. And she's like, get out, you piece of shit. Um, and then we have the, the montage of him stalking this family and you're like oh no ben's a bad person like at first i felt sorry for him because he's sad and then the rest of this movie is going to prove to me that he's not only sad but he's like a bad decision machine (laughs) and so he after stalking them for a while he decides that he's gonna marry this girl and he goes and stalks her at her college and then he uh, is like, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to badger her into marrying me by the next day. Um, and he follows her to class and she's like, look, I, I get that we have chemistry, but I'm also beholden to another person. So pump your brakes. But by this time, Mr. Robinson has come in the most like passive aggressive confrontation that I've ever seen. And I dug it the whole time and we'll talk about it. But um, he is both threatened by and threatening to Ben and is like, you're never going to find my daughter. She's going to get married. And Mrs. Robinson's like, Ooh, no one can have you, but me, I'm a sinister character. And so they have a wedding for Elaine uh, in a very quick succession in which no one can plan a wedding that fast, but who knows, whatever. And we get a, a real fun, and by fun, I mean also 
unsavory sequence in which Ben is trying to locate where the the wedding is, and he uses all of his devious resources to trick people into telling him where it is. He interrupts the wedding after it's done. They're already married, and he beats up her father and proceeds <laughs> to um, block his her, their whole families into this church, and they run off together. They get on a bus, and, uh, you know, then you see some looks of, of sobering realization, and that's how the movie ends. Um, there are a lot of like small touches that I, I, I guess we'll go over as we're talking about the movie, but that's the broad stroke. <laughs> I dig it. Uh, that movie sounds good. Uh, does it? Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, this there's there's a lot to this movie. Um, I I guess I feel like I have to start with talking about the relationship between between Ben and Mrs. Robinson, since that's like the big thrust of the whole movie. Like you have these two characters who feel empty in some way, shape or form. Um, Miss Robinson in her uh, loveless directionless marriage, who they, they reveal that she's only really married to Mr. Robinson because she got pregnant with Elaine. Um, and she's just engaging in this affair because, you know, I guess she likes doing sex. Um, <laughs> and it seems like she really likes the, I don't know, the, like, intrigue of it. It doesn't feel like this is her first time seducing someone. And and it really feels like this is how she gets her rocks off. Um, and you have Dustin Hoffman's character, Ben, who also feels like he is just trying to feel something. He doesn't know what he wants to do. He doesn't want to do kind of what everyone else in his environment is doing. He doesn't want to follow the track that his parents have laid for him. So he's just kind of searching for new feelings. And this seduction, though it feels wrong to him, is also like this new feeling. Like he gets called out for being a virgin and that only spurs him on to do more um sexy sexy sex time and it's right it's also a way for him to very passively give the middle finger to his parents to their lifestyle to their expectations for him um which is sort of his whole thing is this weird misguided like a step off man kind of attitude that is completely baseless um, and so it's a way for him to sort of spit water at that whole idea, much like Mrs. Robinson, who's been in this fairly loveless marriage for a long time. It's it's uh, also very similar for her. It's a way for her to essentially give the finger to this entire paradigm that she is sort of stuck in, you know, whether or not she wants to be. She's sort of expected to fill this very specific role and the role doesn't fulfill her. The role makes her feel hollow and and it. It's just something that needs to be torn down, but you can't tear it down in too public a way because that would be uh, socially gauche. So you have to sort of go around behind people's backs and find uh, very devious ways to to sort of buck that structure. Um, and it's interesting how, you know, uh, Mrs. Robinson comes at it from a place of sort of bitterness and a life lived, but in a very unfulfilling way. And Benjamin sort of comes at it from this very like uh, this confused, bewildered, totally adrift, hasn't lived life yet, doesn't really understand that he has nothing in particular to rebel against and but feels all of this resentment anyway. And they end up meeting in the middle. I also think it's worth mentioning uh, Anne Bancroft, who plays Mrs. Robinson, um, who was this just absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal actress with this massive storied career, uh, was only 35 when they made this movie. Right. And I, I find that wild because she's able to play a woman who has easily, uh, I would say, double, uh, feels like she has double the, the number of years as far as life experience, as far as sort of the weight of, of, uh, years past in an unhappy fashion and stuff like that. Like, I think she just does an incredible job bringing uh, qualities beyond her years at the time, certainly. But it, but yes, I think it's interesting how uh, Benjamin and Mrs. Robinson actually have a very odd amount in common with each other, just not in terms of their um, 
their specific circumstances necessarily, but how the roles they are expected to play in their lives impact them and sort of their attitudes towards it. But then they end up bringing out even worse qualities in each other. Um, and it ends up, I think, for Mrs. Robinson in particular, she ends up becoming, I think, even more embittered by uh, by her relationship with Ben than she was even going into it. Because right. it makes it makes her face certain realities uh, and puts her in certain situations that I just don't think she she was prepared for. And I don't think either one of them really thought through the implications and the potential ramifications of their actions, because ultimately they're two selfish people. Like Benjamin's an incredibly selfish character. Like you talk about how in the last section of this movie, he's basically doing the amazing Spider-Man two and stalking his ex and her loved ones all around the city and stuff like that. Yeah. The only reason I think Ben doesn't play as a kind of bad dude is just because you sort of have to take as a given he's a really misguided kid and hopefully eventually he's going to recognize that this type of behavior these types of decisions uh these really big melodramatic rebellious gestures are not actually going to bring him the fulfillment that he craves and it's why i think one of the best moments if not the best moment in this movie and i think one of the better moments in a in a movie of this era and quite possibly of any era is the final moment of the movie where you know a- another story uh, or another telling of this story might put all the focus on uh the potential love story between Benjamin and Elaine and Benjamin rushes in disrupts the wedding in its final phase and and they you know Elaine gets her big act of rebellion as well that she's sort of been hinting at at wanting some version of throughout the story um and they they bolt together like that's the big happily ever after ending in a lot of these stories and then we follow them onto the bus and they sit there and you get that moment after you get the moment of okay yeah 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 yeah, yeah. oh shit now what right what it what did we just do? You know what I mean? Like we don't even necessarily, you can, you can read into their looks however you want to, um, you know, but Elaine is looking at, at Ben for a lot of it. Ben starts to stare off into the middle distance, but Elaine is sort of looking at him like, what did I just do? I just imploded my entire life, uh, for a guy that had sex with my mom and is now sort of acting like he's entitled to me in some way. I maybe fucked this up. Like, this is maybe not a good thing. And maybe now this is one of those points. This is the two roads diverging in the yellow wood. And I took the one less traveled by and I've made a huge fucking mistake. <laughs> oh, shit. Right. And, and for Ben realizing that, like, yeah, I did it. I did. I did the big thing. I went. I gave the big uh, fuck you to everybody, to my parents and to uh, Mrs. Robinson and Mr. Robinson and God himself and all of it. And now I I'm just still here and I have to live my life. And that didn't bring me happiness. That didn't bring me any closer to answers that, Oh shit, what now? And it's so bleak. I mean, it's a very bleak ending. And so I feel like it's hard for me to point the finger at Ben and be like villain because ultimately he's just confused. Like he's uh, really, if anything, Ben is ultimately, I would think going to be the biggest victim of Ben's actions. You know what I mean? Like he didn't actually, uh, mortally wound anybody as they were getting away from the church. Decent chance that the Robinsons, if Elaine came back and apologized and said, I will marry uh, the old makeout king and stuff, she would eventually be forgiven. But my guess is that Benjamin has, has quite possibly irreparably blown a giant crater into whatever position he may have occupied in that world, in those social circles. But honestly, I don't know. Maybe that's better for him. Maybe he would be a lot happier just living off on a mountain somewhere. <laughs> I mean, he seems to have uh, what I would describe as a lot of money. Like, so it, it doesn't seem like he is really want for anything. Like, he he managed to pay for the hotel for however many nights over the course of some months. He managed to get a hotel or he managed to get a room inside of a house in Berkeley. Like he's, he's going to be fine. And I assume like his parents as like 
Gosius's actions were, they're going to be like, all right, well, it's time for you to get your life back in, in order. And then he will proceed to do whatever his next life steps are. So, like, I don't really feel like he will learn anything from this. <laughs> um, you know, and it, and it highlights this idea, um, I think, from this modern standpoint that like these big romantic gestures that we once saw as romantic are more problematic than they appear to be. And like, I think that that last image of them kind of really processing what just happened is that the, the like culmination of that idea in that we, we, we see him, being like, oh, look, look at all my romance. I came back. I came to Berkeley just for you. I'm going to marry you. I'm going to interrupt your, your wedding. But like, ultimately, you never, and, and in a lot of like romantic comedies, you don't see what happens after that moment. Like everything stops with the laughter, but you don't have to see the fallout of these actions. And you were kind of getting to that in, in what you were saying in that like, yes, after this all comes crashing down, like they'll really have to take, do some self-reflection to figure out like what their lives are going to be. And I think that like, if Dustin Hoffman wasn't playing this character, so almost like charismatically, even in his like most bumbly moments, there's a certain charisma to this character. And the whole movie is, is from his perspective, everything that happens is literally through, not literally, I guess, but figuratively through his his eyes and his emotions. And so like you, it's, it's hard for you to really paint him as yes, this, this like villain of the story. Cause you do get to view his inner feelings through the way that this is shot. Um, and you do get to feel the like panic and, and uh, uncertainty that he feels. And so it's easier to relate to him, even though his actions are demonstrously bad. Um, well, you talk about sort of his, his emotional state, right? And they put, they, they make it very, very explicit, uh, through, well, through a number of means, but, but specifically through the Simon and Garfunkel song, uh, Sound of Silence. Now, if you've seen, uh, if you've seen Arrested Development, uh, it's a big recurring joke on that show that somebody either has a realization or is hit. Uh, in a very bleak emotional way and they'll stare off into the middle distance much like Ben and the the song will start hello darkness my old friend but that is it's it's sort of tongue-in-cheek in this movie but that's genuinely the emotional state that he's in for example when we first see Ben uh, at the beginning when he gets off the plane and during the opening credits which uh, by the way not that long ago, probably within the, the past six months to a year on this show, we talked about Quentin Tarantino's Jackie Brown, which opens with a direct nod to The Graduate with Pam Greer on the people mover. Mm -hmm. But so Ben, Ben is on a conveyor belt, just like his suitcase. You know what I mean? He's just he's big. He feels hollow. Uh, he feels like he's full of whatever everybody else wants to put in him, but doesn't necessarily have a clear identity of his own. And it's it's bleak and it's empty. It's like staring into the void. It's hello, darkness, my old friend, this familiar, empty, vast nothing that I feel inside of myself. And he gets this big what what, you know, like you were saying in any other movie would be the big triumphant. Uh, love reigns supreme and we lived happily ever after moment and they get on that bus they realize that there is more life ahead of them to live like it's not just over we win now and all of a sudden he finds himself staring back into that endless black void and it's it's tough man especially yeah. if you are somebody who does struggle with um e e again even if you don't draw a direct line to ben's specific lived experience shit if you're somebody that struggles with anxiety and depression alone you know like that is a very uh, jarring uncomfortably familiar feeling um and so it it's hard for me not to feel for ben a bit even though yeah he makes a lot of i guess unsavory is a good word he makes a lot of unsavory decisions uh as far as how he how he's servicing his own desires while maybe not necessarily acknowledging the agency of some other characters. But 
at the same time, he's sort of taking what is done to him and flipping it as well because he doesn't know what else to do. And that's that's the thing too. Maybe it comes down to that for me and why it, I think it's very easy to demonize Ben in this story, but I hesitate to do so is because I really think he is behaving in a way that isn't malicious. It's just really misguided and confused. Right. Uh, yes. I mean, I get that. Like, I'm looking at it at, from the perspective of a a 30-year-old man who has lived life, whereas, like, right. he is living the life that, like, if I were 20 years old um, and a hot older lady was like, yo, you want to do a bunch of sex? I'd be like, sure, I guess. Why not? I need to live my life. Um, so, like, I get being of a younger age and having less experience and and really being able to contextualize the potential like you know consequences of your actions like i I get it i'm not i'm not saying he's a monster i'm just saying like you know he's made bad decisions um but you talked about the um him on the conveyor belt and the parallel to him in the suitcase and so i really want to talk about the visual storytelling in this movie which is i think really what stood out to me because it is very well crafted very um well utilized to convey everything that he's feeling without anyone or without him having to be like i am sad i am lost um so there's this i think the the one that stands out the most to start is when he gets trapped in the room with Mrs. Robinson and it really switches into this frantic, um, almost jarring moment where he's trying to keep his composure and it's an over the shoulder shot for, from him of, uh, Mrs. Robinson's upper torso. And it flashes to different parts in that, like that simulating him, um, trying to resist but also kind of sneaking a peek um i really that because that really sets the the tone for how the 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 shot style will kind of change as his emotions change we we get a lot of dark silhouetted uh imagery when he is doing his affair because it is something that is He's keeping in the dark. And I I saw, I think it was a, a quote from the director, Nichols, Mike Nichols, where he was talking about how a lot of the, uh, a lot of the shots where he and Mrs. Robinson are together is more um, dark lighting, whereas everything that is with him and Elaine is shot in a way that has that kind of like, um outer glow like dreamlike quality to it and he w- definitely wanted to feel he wanted us to feel that juxtaposition between the two of them um and because that reflects Ben's inner feeling in that his relationship with Mrs. Robinson was an extension of that dark feeling that he already had whereas his feelings with Elaine to him were something that brought him into a lighter space Yes, and Elaine, too, and I, I agree, by the way, wholeheartedly with uh, everything you're saying about the technical execution of this movie. On top of those aspects, I also think it's worth highlighting the way Nichols uses montage uh, really, really effectively. And I also really love the way that while he's utilizing um, these sort of more modern cinematic conventions, there are also so many scenes where he just sets the camera up, and in these long takes, these wide shots, actors are just playing the scenes together. And I think all of it works so insanely well. But so you talk about uh, the emotional state that Ben finds himself in with Elaine, right? Or sort of what she brings out in him that no other character does. And, you know, it's such a shame that fate sort of led these characters to the places that it did, because I do think there is a timeline where Ben doesn't have sex with Elaine's mom and they're actually really good together. Um, I think she is the only character in the movie where he 
okay, so his relationship with pretty much everybody in this movie is defined by him essentially wanting to be like, uh, well, you know what? Fuck you, man. With the exception of Elaine, who's the one character when he is rude to her, when he treats her badly, when he alienates her, when he makes her cry by treating her as poorly as he does on that date. Um, and again, he's doing that to her as a response to what he thinks other people expect of him. Uh, but she's the one character that shakes him out of that, that makes him go, oh, I'm I'm being a real jerk. Why am I being like this? And they actually have a conversation about why he thinks he's behaving that way. And she gets it. Um, and she doesn't necessarily judge him. She forgives him. It's just that, of course, later she finds out that he's been lying about sleeping with her mom. And that's a that's a big old mess. But she's the only character in the movie with whom Ben has an honest, no bullshit, no pretension, no rebelliousness kind of relationship until he starts to feel like he's not going to get that thing, I guess. And that's where his whole strategy sort of pivots. And then he becomes sort of a, a possessive stocky jerk again. But for a minute, I genuinely like you could see that timeline where like, ah, oh, man, if only you had taken more agency for yourself, right? Like and hadn't made that choice. Uh, this could actually potentially have been a really good thing for you. But instead, you know, you could definitely argue that Mrs. Robinson was being, um, let's let's say, predatory. Um, but yeah. I, I think I do think even though, yes, she was taking advantage of a younger person, his his whole lot in life at that point was basically just going with whatever happened and not really making active choices for himself. Really, the only active choices he's making uh, are to abandon making active choices. And so he, I think at the beginning of the story, sort of gives up a lot of his own agency or has given up a lot of his own agency in the name of, well, I'm going to do this because I'm supposed to, or I'll do this because my parents say they want me to, or I'll put on this diving suit to make their friends laugh and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, for for a second, he sort of breaks through that sheet of ice. And then, yeah, then he then he takes a little too much agency in the wrong direction, I think. But right. for, for a second, for a second, you can see the version of events uh, where they actually kind of have a really nice thing going. No, yeah, good for I could definitely see that. And I, I think that like when you contextualize it that way, there's also an argument to be had that like Ben himself was a bit preyed upon, which also could have informed the way that his stalky predatory behavior um goes along in the in in the in the second half of the movie in that like that was his prime example of how to how like a relationship could work and so like if that's the template then it stands to reason that like he he might apply that to his pursuit of this other character um, and that's, right. you know, that's headcanon. There's nothing specifically stated in that regard, but like there could be an argument in that regard. But I, I also think it's very clear that the movie is aware that like once Ben decides to pursue Elaine after this fallout with this intense single mindedness, I appreciate that the movie is aware and the characters in the movie are aware that Ben is sort of being a crazy asshole like he has the conversation with his parents where he's like i'm gonna marry elaine robinson and they're like oh that's wonderful blah blah blah, blah. and then they gradually come to realize that they they've never had a discussion about this uh, elaine robinson has no reason to think a that she is marrying him b that he even wants to marry her and in fact they don't even really like each other and you watch uh by the way william daniels the actor who plays mr braddock ben's dad of course will be recognizable i think to most of our generation uh from boy meets world where he played mr feeney mm -hmm. but he he plays these scenes with his son so wonderfully because at various moments you can see that that this guy, Mr. Braddock, inside is registering his son's behavior and just so badly wants to kind of smack him and go, what the fuck? But he can't because it would sort of be below like his class. You know what I mean? Like that's just not how a man uh, in, in his station in life behaves. Right. But you can see just so badly wants to be like, Benjamin, what what in the fuck? What in the fuck is wrong with you? So, uh, speaking of performances, we were talking about, uh, I, I don't want to get 
too far, though we are very far into this. But I, but since we were talking about Elaine, um, I really, uh, I really enjoyed. Uh, I, I, it's Catherine Ross that plays Elaine, right? Um, yes. I really enjoyed her performance. She does a lot of very small things that makes her feel super genuine and like a like very much like a fully fledged character. Um, even there's this really tiny moment when they get back from their date and Ben is asking if they want to uh, hang out tomorrow. And she's just like going in the, the fast food bag and just like chomping on fries as they're like bantering in a very cute way. And just, just that tiny, tiny character choice, I think really stood out to me in, in that, like she doesn't appear in the movie until, uh, at least an hour, maybe an hour 15 into the movie, but she has such a presence. And I think that like, I wanted to very much specifically call out Catherine Ross's performance for that. Yeah, she is excellent. And this was not her first movie, but this was really, if I'm not mistaken, her first real big leading role in a movie. Um, as it was, of course, for Dustin Hoffman as well. And this was based on a, a novel. And in the novel, the the Benjamin Braddock character is very much a Robert Redford type, very much like blonde hair, blue eyed, all American. And so casting Hoffman was a, obviously a huge, huge departure from that, especially because leading men in movies really did not look that way. They certainly didn't behave that way. Um, and it sort of kicked the door open for a whole new type of leading man in Hollywood movies. Honestly, if if ever I uh, have a lead role in a film, it will probably be because, in large part, Dustin Hoffman sort of kicked open the door for guys that don't look like Robert Redford to play leading man parts. Right. Um, I mean, I'd like to think it's because of your talent, because you're a talented guy. Aw, thanks. Oh, uh, but while we're while we're uh, shouting out actors real quick, I also want to shout out Murray Hamilton, who plays Mr. Robinson, a character. I think he does a phenomenal job playing this character. I also want to shout him out because his best known role, certainly, is the mayor from Jaws. And we have been talking quite a lot about the mayor from Jaws recently. Right. Um, yeah, I, uh, I had mentioned him in my recap. Um, I thought that, like, he has, I would, I would say two scenes in this movie like he appears a couple times but like his two main scenes are when he shows up and he um he talks to ben about sowing his wild oats um which unknowing to him he was like hey why don't you do a sex with my wife um but also i think the scene that really stuck out to me from him was when he was confronting ben and everything that Ben did, no matter how um, minor or non-threatening, he would be like, no need to yell. Don't, don't ball your fist up at me. Uh, and he's so threatened by Ben. Like, I assume the, the metaphor being like his manhood is threatened because his wife stepped out on him. But also like Ben is this really un uh, like, unthreatening uh, I guess non-threatening is the grammatical way to say that but like he's so non-threatening and he's so unassuming and the fact that this this man who's probably like a foot taller than him is backing away from him so aggressively really uh, I think is, is, is not touching but it really stood out to me as like another really fun character choice I, I, you gotta feel for this guy though, right? Because obviously, you know, the Mr. Robinson has been depicted as sort of uh, oblivious and not, not a bad guy, but you kind of, you can fill in the blanks based on what you learn from Mrs. Robinson about their relationship. And you can see, okay, this is maybe not the most loving and attentive husband, but not an evil man by any means. And so you got to sort of feel for the guy because this kid who you've known, who you think of as a son, like he literally said, I mean, now, whatever that actually means for Mrs. Uh, Mr. Robinson, I suppose is, is debatable. But in his words, almost thinks of Ben like another son. And then this dude comes in and not just has sex with his wife repeatedly, but also uh, presumably with 
his daughter as well, or at the very least now the threat is there that this will happen. I can imagine that, especially, you know, when it's, when it's a younger man and uh, Mr. Robinson has that exchange with him about, you know, the one you were referencing about how, Hey, you're at a great age, go out, sow your wild oats. You could almost imagine Mr. Robinson maybe feels a little bit of jealousy that Ben is at that age. I can imagine that it would be the most sort of eviscerating realization possible where your your sense of your manhood, your own masculinity is concerned, especially, you know, back then when I think uh, the, these ideas, these tenets of masculinity were um, expected to be adhered to to possibly an even greater degree than they are today. Like this dude is going to need like my guess is Mr. Robinson is a of a generation that doesn't really believe in therapy, which is a shame because this dude probably needs a fucking lot of therapy now. Yeah. I mean, I assume he'll just, uh, you know, devolve into a, a very angry and sad alcoholic. Um, yeah. I mean, because he and Mrs. Robinson are getting divorced. He definitely like I think he also explicitly says it at the pool scene that he's like, oh, man, I wish I was that age. So I think he's very much going to live in a hotel for the rest of his life or like a tiny studio apartment. Um, or he will keep the house and he will just be one of those sad, crazy guys who are getting, getting drunk every night being like, I'm in a midlife crisis. Look at my new car. Um, and it's going to be a bummer. This guy is going to live a, a bummer life. Um, and he's going to be, and he's, and he's going to be like, I got beat up by a kid. I'm so sad. I wasted $50,000 on this wedding. Um, (laughs) yeah, that's who's, who's, who he's going to be. Um, I also for a second want to talk about the soundtrack in that it felt like they had licensed three songs total. And we're like, we're just going to keep playing these three songs over and over. And I think in the in a, in a matter of, I want to say 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes, we hear Scarborough Fair in its entirety, I think, <laughs> three times. And I was like, why are we playing this again? Play something else or let it be silent. Let us feel the way we feel about this scene without you being like, yo, we're going to Scarberry for our Scarborough Fair. Um, yeah, fair enough. There is, um, I want to say we go from, is it we go from Scarborough Fair like right into April Come She Will at one point? So like we're doing one Simon and Garfunkel montage and we immediately slip into another Simon and Garfunkel montage. Mm-hmm. And then I think we go right back to Scarborough Fair from there. (laughs) At least the songs are good. (laughs) Question mark, Big Shrug? No, I hate them. (laughs) If I didn't hate them before, I hate them now. Are you you at all a Simon and Garfunkel person, or was it just not on your radar uh, at all? I I think I've only heard Sound of Silence. Um, Okay. Other than that, like, not really. Um, They have a, a Partridge family feel to me. Like if if Partridge's family was sad, that's uh, Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> you know, I could see that. All right, I see. I'm a I'm a I'm a fan, but I actually really I can't I cannot argue with that assessment. It really is sort of like Partridge Family, but sad. Yes. Yeah. Um. So uh, <laughs> I I feel like we are reaching the end of our show. So do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? Um, I'm glad that I, A, I guess I'm glad that I was able to share this movie with you because I really do think, uh, this is one of the great American movies. Although, I mean, look, what, what does that mean? Really? It's all a matter of opinion and subjectivity. But for me, if I was going to make a canon of say, uh, I don't know, 10 to 15 American movies, strictly American movies. But if I was going to make like, here's the canon, it's only 10 to 15 of these, uh, the graduate is, is easily one that. I think would make that cut. It came along at a very pivotal time for movies. People had not necessarily seen a story like this. They had certainly never seen a leading man like Dustin Hoffman. Uh, It's not an accident that this movie either made or remade the careers of uh, a lot of the people involved. Um, And it's a movie that 
I saw for the first time, I want to say very early in high school, and I've come back to it probably once a year at least since then. And I feel like it is a movie that every time I see it, uh, whether it is in terms of content or execution, I find something new about it to appreciate. Or failing that, something that I was aware of previously sticks out to me in a new way and feels fresh, feels new. Um, and of course, that's helped uh, along greatly by, as I mentioned, Criterion Collection put out a physical edition and they did an amazing job cleaning this movie up. But it's it's something that I come back to with some regularity. And it's a movie that I think, just like many of the greatest movies do, feels new, feels fresh to me every time uh, I see it. And so since we are kicking off a month of stories about uh, school ending and, and us sort of stepping out uncertainly into uh, a summer of giant question marks, uh, this sort of seemed like the perfect place to start. So I guess, yes, uh, having, having just now seen it for the first time, uh, yourself, do you have, do you have final thoughts? Um, are you, are you pleased that I brought this to your attention? Are you bitter? Are you resentful? Are you, uh, Mrs. Robinson, uh, in this marriage or are you, I don't, uh, Ben, I guess, are you, what's the version of that where like you got taken along, but you liked it. And now you're going to pivot and and do weird shit to other people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think I am Elaine in this situation. <laughs> um, you know, Ben approached me um, and I think we, we had a, a fairly good time. Um, but in some ways it, it rubbed me the wrong way. Um, <laughs> and like... I'm I'm glad for the time we had together, and I, it's it, I find it better than being with the makeout king. Um, but like I don't know where I go from here. Um, but like yeah, I I think I'm glad I've seen it. I'm glad I've experienced this this what was at the time a cultural phenomenon, and I think it will re uh, shape the way I see things that have referenced it over time. And I think I will start to pick up on those things. Um, I think it is, uh, I I think it still is very funny in a lot of different moments. I think the way that everyone is performing at the top of their ability is, uh, really spectacular. Uh, so I think that if people have the chance to watch it, they should. Um, I think that the technical aspects of it are very well done. I think that it does a very good job of capturing the feeling of the time. I think it's tough to watch with our modern sensibilities in that it has its time and its place in terms of the, the relationship dynamics um, that were very present then that are, have progressed since that moment. Like it's 50 years ago. So like, you know, it, it definitely is a product of its time. But I think it's worth checking out. And those are really my final thoughts about it. Um, I mean, other than that, I think, um, yeah, I don't know. Too many, too many Scarborough fare. <laughs> uh, I guess last thing that's worth mentioning is this was adapted for the stage a long time ago as well. Um, and it lends itself to stage very, very nicely. I was actually able to, yeah, this was had to be over 10 years ago now, 10, 12 years ago, uh, saw a production of The Graduate on stage where Morgan Fairchild played Mrs. Robinson. Uh, it was great. She was great. That's the whole story. Okay, cool. Um, well, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, Lex Michael, thank you for bringing this to us, us being me and the audience in support of our month sponsored schools out forever and so uh, i think i would like to continue the acknowledgement of this month's theme by announcing what we're going to be talking about next week um we are going to have our good friend mark b donica he uh did shows with us at after buzz we had him on to talk about rooster teeth Uh, And now we are going deeper into that well as we are talking about the summer camp themed show, Camp Camp, 
created by Rooster Teeth. We're going to be talking about seasons one through three. Um, maybe some season four, depending on if it's available for us. Um, but yes, we're really looking forward to having him on again. He's a fun dude. Uh, you can catch him on Twitter at Mark B. Donica. That's Mark with a K. Uh, so yeah, and we'll be tweeting about this, so don't even worry about it. Um, all right. So until we see you again, uh, Lex, where can people find you? Uh, I am on Twitter and Instagram at the Lex Michael. I don't post that often, but, but trust me, uh, I'm there. You, you'll, you'll feel me. If you seek my monument, look, uh, on Twitter and Instagram at the Lex Michael. Ooh, uh, I have no monument, but if I did, uh, people would speak of it at Tari J. T A U R I J A Y. But most importantly, you can find this podcast at Missing Outcast. M I S S I N G O U T C A S T. And you can continue to support us we're on twitter we have an instagram but it uh, you know we don't use it so just go to twitter (laughs) (laughs) so until next week this has been the retrospective that is introspective and now you have a new perspective we're gonna go get on the bus and think about what the fuck we did (laughs) 